Hello, and welcome to Resolve, an afterplay show. This is an after show for a role-playing game that does not have an actual play, where we tell you all the details of our game so you don't have to listen to it. Hi, I'm Sammy. I'll be your host. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Assyria Moli, the Hope of the Abyss. Joining me is my wonderful co-host, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. I play the Malboro Juice and his mule companion, the Smogs. All of us use he, him pronouns. We are joined today by Dee! Hello, I'm Dee. I'm back again. You can use any pronouns for me, except for it. I don't like that shit. I play Geyser, who is figuring out that she actually cares about people. She uses she, her pronouns. Thank you for joining us today. Now that we're all here, Alex, why don't you tell us about the actual play? Previously in a feat, Geyser speaks with Umbra about crafting new armor and agrees to train in defensive magic with Pony. Asiri talks to Sierra about the Mermaid Exodus. She learns that he doesn't have much time left. He passes Hound 5 onto Powder. Smog asks Geyser about her plans after world travel over lunch before the rest of the World Corps joins them. Informed by Asiri of his old age, Geyser runs off to speak to Sierra. She gives a quick word to reporters before they interview the rest of the party. Assyria and Powder talk about mating in Assyria's tank. The party leaves to the World of Assembly, where they find governance goons dead on Blobby Flob's floor and Smog as a Moogle mech. After Blobby samples some of Assyria's slime in his robotic body, he shares some details about the mutation and pollution of this world. The group moves toward a lead from Blobby about the world core, the Edgen. So now that you've heard the actual play, let's do a deep dive into the session. Yeah, we open up with us returning from our Easter egg experience. Feels weird that Geyser was the one to discover that. Geyser had the least interaction in that scene. I am now the guide for everyone to go to the right place. Oh well, we can barely remember it anyway. It's fine. It was a dream, guys. A very weird dream. It was nebulous. <laughs> it's how tabletop feels 10 years later that's absolutely true just one fever dream one collective fever dream a fever dream with my friends uh-huh. that we have inside jokes about <laughs> pretty quickly we get back to the strider docks and umbra is waiting for us pony and geyser wanted to speak with umbra on geyser's end it was trying to connect with pony through an interest that may or may not be shared. Geyser's like, hey, you have armor and you're doing all this stuff. We should talk a little bit more. Pony's like, fuck yeah, I got cool armor. (laughs) And I'm gonna thank Umbra, because he's the coolest. Pony gets her little moment to show off, which is very cute. I really love Pony's zeal for life. Shout out to (laughs) Carolyn. I left that conversation Take my number, Umbra. I'll I'll hit you up later with details about the armor for Geyser. We'll see how that happens or if it gets forgotten. This is also our first time seeing Umbra in his own armor. And now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of wish I asked for more details. We have black translucent and some silver crescents on the shoulder pauldrons. This could be like fucking fetish armor where you can see shit under because it's (laughs) so (laughs) see-through. (laughs) <laughs> hmm. 
that would be very funny. If I would jump to that conclusion. I feel like they have either military uniform or tight suit inside. What's underneath and what is that adding to the experience is really what I want to know. I'm pretty sure it's a wetsuit material, but I will check with Daniel. But I don't think they're just like butt ass naked. <laughs> to be honest, that is not the first thing I jumped to. It's just looking back at the notes and like, hmm, there's room for a lot of interesting implications here. I feel like the implication is either some sort of weird psychoglass derivative or that Dan is trying to emulate see through N64 controllers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he also has sickles. Yes. Fear the Reaper. Don't fear the Reaper. <laughs> I wonder if that's his signature design label or something, or is that something to do with Union Charter? I think that might be all him. These people chose their own name, Umbra, the Moon, Darkness, that sort of stuff. It makes sense. I do like the fact that Umbra mentioned here in this conversation with Pony, because they're going back and forth about the armor and if they need to make any tweaks or anything, or if Pony needs help using it. The warning, maybe don't go swimming. (laughs) (laughs) There's some other things that could be a problem here, but I wonder how far ahead Pony's going to think when they're in the heat of the moment. If Pony can't swim, at least if this helps her focus her magic, maybe there's something else she can do. True. I doubt that anybody else in the party would just let her suffer. (laughs) I feel like a Siri would not let her drown. (laughs) Geyser probably wouldn't let Pony drown if Geyser's like paying attention to Pony when she's in trouble. That's fair. I don't think Smog would either. There's nobody in the party that's like, you know what? Fuck it. You fucked around and found out. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Pony. <laughs> I'm just imagining Pony running on a seafloor like fucking Sonic the Hedgehog searching for bubbles. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Geyser pipes in with their own armor, and they describe how much motion she uses in combat. Umbra just immediately comes back and says, then we don't want to do like plate armor or something as heavy for you. We want something more woven. They didn't say Kevlar, but I know Kevlar is woven. So something that has a lot more range of motion. All the times that I've gotten in fights, I'm either like running around with something huge and swinging it around, or I'm using magic. I'm not expecting to take heavy hits. That raises an interesting question about how Dan's going to treat this armor because there is no like armor stat there's no real defensive mechanism for like clothing in interstitial so i wonder how that's going to come into play we could just treat it as fashion up until combat or we could have like situations where the type of attack we're experiencing makes the armor less relevant from that scene we have a visit to sierra with powder asiri tau and pony my heart uh, my undead heart uh, <laughs> i feel things this isn't normal sierra ain't doing too good he slowed down a lot he's now in a wheelchair been resting a lot more he didn't even come out to greet us we met him in his office it's rough bro It gives a lot more weight to the passage of time since we started. But then these people do have independent lives going on. And and part of that is reaching the end of your life. It sucks, dude. Sarah's cool. (laughs) Feels bad, man. (laughs) We'll get much more into this later. But part of what I like about that is, as the version of Smog I am here, 
getting to play into this happened over the summer. Yeah. And we're definitely seeing that with Sierra here. Two months is a long time when you start getting towards the end. Yeah. Uh, Sierra hands Powder some papers, mostly because Sierra can't read. And they'll get wet and destroyed. It's a culmination of all of his work in progress thus far on the Mermaid Project. And they sit down and have a real talk with Asiri about the ramifications of putting a barnacle on her head to get all that information. And there's some more back and forth about the specific effects of it, but it's just real delicate, aggressively invasive. Asiri has come to terms with the fact that if she doesn't act quickly, things will probably not go the way she wants them to. Once we get back from this world, she's going to submit to the surgery, but she doesn't want to do it beforehand in case the governance pulls some fuckery. The rest of the group wouldn't want to head out while Asiri is doing that, so it slows down the process as well. Yeah, that's what I figured. There's, there's so much to balance, but... Yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> She's very nervous about this procedure, <laughs> to say the least. There's a lot of unknowns about what would be recorded, right? Would it only record the biological part of her, the, the neural synapses up to the point where she awoke as the abyss? Would it just record everything? Because that's a big problem, too. <laughs> So, Asiri likes a lot of control over the information that the people are getting, and she's already given a lot of that up with Tao passing along a secret history, so... And she's told Tara some things, otherwise she probably wouldn't tell anyone. It's a rough spot for her, to say the absolute minimum. (laughs) But it's worth it, right, to save your people. Yeah, but the question is, is the Abyss doing that in the first place right? Things go extinct. It's part of the cycle of nature. Yeah. The question is, it's a little different here and whether or not that matters. It's easy to think of cycle of life shit regarding a species that's not self-aware, you know? Mm -hmm. It's harder to grapple with my people are going away versus a specific type of mouse native to the desert in Colorado You don't want that to happen, especially if it's not natural. But if there is a being speaking to you, it's a lot different. It's a lot more weighty. I just love the irony here where it's like humanity is one of the reasons why a series people are going extinct. But here, X thousand amounts of years later, they're going to end up being what saves them, which is so funny to me. (laughs) They just had to go through their own species trauma. Yeah. We all been through trauma, right, guys? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now that I think about it, it's a lot deeper than it is. on the surface. All of our characters have a little bit of, like, silliness to them, especially, like, Pony and Geyser. Those are the most, like, unseriously designed characters. <laughs> but I also chose Moogle as, like, that's the fucking joke race in Final Fantasy. They, like, set up shops and say Koopa all the fucking time. Yeah. yeah. And, and all of my characters are inherently ridiculous in one to two specific ways. <laughs> yeah. So there's the silliness on the surface, but then all of our backstories are like, whoa, that's some real, <laughs> that's some deep shit, like... Because Interstitial is such an everything engine, you need to make sure that your characters have a diverse set of topics to build off of. You can't always be silly and fun, and you are not encouraged to go full edgelord. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the balance. Well, the other big part of this scene 
is Hound 5 getting passed off to Powder. <laughs> Sierra's not allowed to die! <laughs> Why are we... Certainly a reaction. <laughs> Why are we cementing this old man? You're gonna live forever. <laughs> Powder has a weird placement in society. They've mostly tried to do their best to help around the scientific quarters. They know they're not as smart to like be a scientist, but for whatever reason, Powder's just like, yeah, I'll help the scientists, sure. I really like that exchange of the guard here, where we literally give the guard dog to Powder, who probably is the only one that really knows how to take care of Hound. Was Hound the one that met you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, me and Pony. That kind of takes it all full circle. Also, there are two lesbians and a dog now, so I'm really excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) We have a pet. Oh my god. What's the equivalent of interspecies U-hauling? I don't know. (laughs) We're gonna get a Subaru, though. Oh my god. (laughs) Only no Swag is millennial because he has a plant. Nice. (laughs) He's adulting. Oh my god. Glad Powder has a new tool and like backup for when they do salvaging alone. But like, why is it so sad? It hurts me. I was suffering in the background of this scene. This is something that took me by surprise. Because I was just like, wait, (laughs) like, why am I reacting? (laughs) I muted myself and was like, it can't hurt you. It's not real. <laughs> that, that's fair. There, it's like, it really can't hurt you. Sierra had a deep dive to like figure out what, how much time Sierra has and like all these other things. And one of the ways Dan chose to communicate this to me is by like giving Sierra like a wrist. I don't know if it's just like a communicator or a tool or whatever. Vibrating a very crude mermaid song that he wrote that only a Siri would hear and understand. Oh, that fucked me up. It's like, you you did that. You you tried. You met me halfway to engage in my cultural exchange level. There's no level of appreciation I could tell you that could, uh, like, comprehend my gratefulness there. Like, that's incredible. Dan is evil. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that gets me here, and this is kind of jumping ahead, but I think it fits what we're talking about now. Smog stays here. When you all leave, he agreed to look after Sierra while you're gone. If this man dies while y'all are on duty and we have a scene about it, I'm the only one in that fucking scene. I know. And I'm real <laughs> mad about it. So fucked. I wasn't too affected when we were going through this, but if I have to be there for that, I might actually cry when we play. God damn. I'm going to beat up Dan if that happens. I'm anti Dan. <laughs> get a shirt with. A picture of Dan like and like. <laughs> I feel it could only be more unfitting if Tao had to be the one there to yeah, to look at Sierra did. fucking die. Like Smog has had one good interaction with Sierra. <laughs> like what the fuck? If Sierra is not there for this scene, I would be real mad. <laughs> They're the two that have spent the most time together, besides maybe Geyser and Sierra. But also, all old sailors go back to the sea when they die. That is the call of seagulls. So. Like, <laughs> the abyss needs to be there for this passing. There's also another good, funny enough, like, trope we can fit in here. Death doesn't make time for your narrative. Death fucking happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I could totally see it. I am so upset. It's so unexpectedly heavy. 
<laughs> Considering that I literally had to face myself and find nothing, the fact that this and I wasn't even a part of the scene, it pulled all of my feelings to the surface. Like I was feeling raw for like a couple of days. Oh my goodness, no, no. dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness. I didn't fucking help it any, because you know what I did directly after that scene is like, guys, what are you gonna do when you get to go home? It took me off guard. We were getting lunch. Guys are not knowing what was going on with Sierra. I was like, say hello to that man. I'm a <laughs> fuck off. Smog is having a salad and guys are eating a sandwich. And we're just chilling, talking about what we're going to do. I had to think on my feet. I leaned onto something that I do sometimes when I'm not sure. Read the question a little too literally so the way that smog phrased it was oh it's hard looking at a bit of home before you get back to it where are you going after this and so guys are focusing on the wrong part of that statement i can't go back to my home because my home got shattered the dream world that guys are from smog gratefully like takes the bait are you gonna stay at the home for transferred entities, that's where Geyser lived before she was pulled into the camp. And Geyser's like, it's not really a choice, because once I go back to my home world, they're going to be like, you are not supposed to be there. <laughs> the home for transferred entities is less of cutesy old lady and her granddaughter taking care of stuffed toys, and more like men in black trying to keep aliens from defeating the whole world. All of the rampant magical energy that gets released into the world because of powerful children and their overactive imaginations, it needs firm clamp. This is really the first time that I talked about my backstory without it focusing on Jilly itself. Mm -hmm. nice to get some of that information to the rest of the party. I think I've not done a very good job of immersing Geyser's story into the campaign during play. It's more the podcast and times where we're just talking, where I'm filling in little details about Geyser. It's also my privilege as the anachronism, or at least having been the anachronism, to play with the concept of knowing some future of your character and helping you connect what I've heard you want to do with the character and what I already know about your character. Mm -hmm. Smog is an expert geyser wrangler. Yeah. <laughs> it's also fun here because geyser again mentions that smog, the smog in the world of motion, helped them with this transition. And smog Alexander was like, I don't know what I fucking said. So can you tell me <laughs> what did I say? And I was like, ooh, there's something here. I don't know how to articulate like what this emotion <laughs> is, but like I like it. I like the, the tension that's here. The Alexander version of smog doesn't remember this because that other smog will eventually become Tau smog. Even if you consider part of Alexander Smog's memory being wiped, he would never remember this. And I went a little bit farther to say, like, I don't think you changed this fast last time, Geyser. This change kind of happened, but I don't think I had as much to do with it. Mm. And that's why I told Assyria, like, the other smogs have things to say. You can lean on them, too. A lot of real deep conversations, and it kind of does not stop. Like, we're being hammered. <laughs> we're getting hammered. <laughs> it's really funny. These are 
the sessions that always have the longest notes. I think this is the single longest word count notes that I've made. And they almost always have some of the shortest summaries because I can just say their discussion and we'll get into it when we're talking here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fucking bonkers. <laughs> the meat of that conversation is so much more meaningful than the, the conversation like happening itself. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the rest of the party catches up with Smog and Geyser. Everyone gets their various snacks. The rest of the party fills in Geyser about how Sierra's doing. And Geyser's just like, oh god, he's old. That's not allowed. (laughs) I do like Geyser's reaction here. Just like missing the point. Just missing like the most obvious shit that's right in front of their face. But I also like the fact that the rest of the party gets to like muse on their relationship with Sierra for a second. Because it may not be for much longer. A serious hurt in this moment because it's very rare for a mermaid to see another person die unless of course they were like eaten or something in front of them but now that sierra has written that song he can be immortal now and that just fills her with a little bit of glee makes it easier geyser's like oblivious just having a good time with their sandwich then all of a sudden i'm like pulled back into oh fuck (laughs) like this is for real when siri says he doesn't have much time left geyser hesitates and is like oh i should go see him and then siri says he'll be immortal now and then it gets like really real oh fuck you're serious like you're not just saying he's an old man being old we're counting down on hospice care geyser's like fuck it i'm out of here fuck you (laughs) fuck you all and him for being old (laughs) in a flurry of confused grief i'm accosted by reporters (laughs) which wrong time for that shit (laughs) absolute wrong time the second time this session i'm caught off guard so i just say the first sentences that come to mind They probably still think that I'm fucking crazy and (laughs) I'm gonna summon weapons and shoot them all and like cause rampant chaos, which was a fair assumption. So guys, it's just like, I'm okay now. I won't blow up your shit, bye. (laughs) Later. (laughs) Runs away. Presumably to go blow up shit? They don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is where we reveal that Smog has been doing a weekly fireside chat on fucking Chrysalis News. What the fuck is he talking about once a week? (laughs) The privilege of being the anachronism, especially in this wild-ass setup where we have time skips, is that I get to- it happened over summer shit. (laughs) What the fuck has he been talking about? He's been talking about engineering. He's telling people how to do Magitech stuff, obviously. Clearly. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> Just, that's such a smog thing to do. <laughs> I'm on sequence charter. Let me make myself a podcaster. Hell yeah. <laughs> Local access news. The reporters, after, like, being caught off guard by guys who are leaving abruptly, they see the rest of us and are like, oh shit, now's our chance to strike. And get our juicy news story. So we each take turns to various effect getting interviewed by the media. Part of me doing the fireside chat, it doesn't make sense for me to have this interview with Smog already having been here so long. Plus, I know I'm going to take time later in the session introducing a new Smog. I don't need that time right now. A wild set of interviews. I wonder how they're going to cut this together in the media. It's only ponies. Probably. Let's be real. (laughs) 
it starts with Tao, because Tao presumably has the most experience in this sort of setup. They give a very standard interview for at least our characters. Very reasonable thinking about the implications of the questions and using that to protect Terra and reinforce how important the work the party is doing is. A very well thought out interview. They asked about our experiences. They asked us to describe ourselves and who we are so people know us a bit better. And they asked about the rise in militarization since the governance came back to comment on that because people aren't very pleased with it. So I think Tao gave a very balanced and well-respected interview considering the circumstances, especially since it was unprepared. Tao has media training. Tao is the media training. (laughs) (laughs) Pony, however. (laughs) The first fucking thing that entered her mind each time. Which is how she's acted this entire game. So, like, good for her. (laughs) Pony's like, I love rolling the punches. I love improving myself. Doesn't really understand the question about the governance. And is like, I fucking hate cops. I guess because in her mind, the governance (laughs) are cops. (laughs) But there are also, like, police equivalents that made... One that made her fucking armor. Yeah, I was like, you just got into, like, off of talking to Umbra, like, the head cop of fucking Union Charter. And you just go on national news wearing his armor <laughs> to just, like, fucking diss him. <laughs> I honestly, I didn't remember that Umbra was a cop until, like, towards the end of the session. I was like, wait, is it Umbra a cop? Yeah, in his defense, he's not really a cop. He's just the governor of Union China, or like he's in the like head position of authority, but he is in charge of the cops, so he is complicit in their actions. Yeah, <laughs> fuck the police. Oh, I just think that's so funny. I've never liked cops. Thanks, Pony. <laughs> Thank you. Now I need to like give Pony a chain. Oh and god, a New York fitted. <laughs> God, Pony is really the most close enough to a Looney Tune. Yeah. <laughs> Based Pony. Siri is very shy about the line of questioning and has literal responses. I don't think this form of communication exists <laughs> for her under standard conditions. She doesn't really describe herself. She doesn't have to because when mermaids meet, they exchange their songs. That's them. You already know the entirety of their person just based on that exchange. Why waste spoken word about it? It doesn't make any sense to her. She flubs that a lot. She's just like, I I swim, I I sing, just like very baseline facts about herself. And when the reporter probes deeper, Powder has to jump in and be Mm -hmm. like very consistent and kind and they look out for people and they like harmony. But it's just like, I don't know what you're trying to ask me. I don't understand. And they don't push anyone too hard. They kind of accept those questions. They didn't give a start when Pony said what she said. <laughs> and they leave. And then Asuna's just like, was that correct? Did we do a good job? Tyler's <laughs> like, you got a good grade in interviewing, which is possible and reasonable to accept. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. I love that meeting. <laughs> Swan talks about getting back to work. Powder is disinterested for obvious reasons. And Asiri steals Powder away. <laughs> <laughs> they needed to talk about something real quick, but before we catch up with that conversation, we join Geyser basically running into Sierra's office at full sprint. And then I love how earnest this first scene here is, where it's just like grabs Sierra by the shoulders. You didn't tell me 
(laughs) That's perfect. That's like the most geyser way to introduce this topic I've ever seen. Your delivery D was amazing. I was like, oh, you didn't tell me you were all like it's somewhere between like someone who really understands what this means and a child. It was too good. Mm -hmm. If it felt real, it's because it felt real for me. (laughs) Uh I was geyser in that moment. Like all of a sudden I'm like, you and your fucking time and you're not imagined and you're a real person and your life ends. And I just got to the point where I know what you've done for me and I can comprehend why that's important. Geyser was imagined, yes, but over and over and over and over and over again, Geyser has had to make herself. Geyser could not depend on anybody because she was the one that people depended on, whether in a good way or a bad way. People had expectations of Geyser. Geyser had to keep a child safe from her abusive parents, keep herself safe from being hunted by her literal government, and deal with all whatever the fuckery is going on through this campaign. Everyone has been nice to Geyser. More than nice, more than is reasonable based on her actions. But Sierra was the first person to actively engage with her in her language. So this is like, I'm like, ah! Makes a lot of sense too, because if you think about it, Sierra spent all of his youth in the battle pits. And then once he got to a certain point, he just started training the new idiots that were assigned to the battle pit. And all these rowdy, raunchy characters all I care about is drinking and fighting, you have to learn how to talk to those people. The exact same as talking to Geyser. In this exchange, Sierra's just like, you remind me of Terra because you have that same mindset sometimes. I need to act before I think about it. And Sierra knows what the problems are when it comes to that sort of mindset. Even though Sierra said that, Geyser looks offended for a second because Geyser doesn't comprehend that comparison is a good thing. Geyser literally thinks Sierra thinks that Geyser is like a captain. Geyser's like, what does that have to do with anything? (laughs) This is going to be something for Geyser to carry on like lessons for the future. Why did you have Geyser ask about Sierra's family? Geyser doesn't want Sierra to be alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was thinking, I can't stay here. I can't stay here. I can't stay. Like, when I tell you, I was in. (laughs) I was in in that moment. It's so funny because at the very beginning, there was a question, how do you get into character? And I was like, I don't really, it's more of like a head game for me. I'm always thinking about what's happening. Here I was in it. (laughs) Like, I was like, for real. And I'm like, I can't stay here. I want to stay here and I can't stay here. So like, guys are trying to play this off. I want to learn more about this guy spend some time and talk about stuff but geyser's like you can't be here alone you should not be here alone if i can't be here somebody needs to be here so geyser says do you have any family members and sierra replies that he does not and that he's glad that he had time to you know teach people and that he doesn't know if he was good for family geyser's like it's all right you don't have kids Sometimes not everyone has to do that. I think I still have to go. And I wish that there would be people keeping company. Geyser is actively grieving. 
and it's like very nasty, very raw, and like very sudden because this is also a moment where Geyser has to contend with loss that wasn't intended. Well, second time. The first time was Jilly, but anytime Geyser lost something from that point on, it was on purpose. If Geyser wants to lose a connection with people, she's causing the problems on purpose. I don't want people that I care about to die. It's not something that she thought before. And now she has to like think it. So it's like me as a person in real life, I don't deal with grief well, period. Even as someone who has lost people already, like I've never been a person that's dealt well with grief. And so I was channeling that energy there too. Some of what I said was just coming up out of me naturally. Mm-hmm. Next, I fucked with Sierra's wheelchair. <laughs> that's where we get the title drop, title drop moment. <laughs> title drop moment, title drop moment. Geyser casts magic and makes Sierra's wheelchair Geyser's colors and puts a heating element in the chair, a little more fuzzy, fluffy, so that he's comfortable. And that is part of Geyser's grief. I can't do anything for you. I can't stop this from happening. And I can't even be here. But at least I can make you comfortable before you go. Which is so sad. You see this word vomit gibberish that's very reminiscent of pre-transformation Geyser. That's, I'm sorry I can't stay here. The government, I can't have to fight them. You're old and you didn't tell me. I'm so sorry. Like <laughs> All of the thoughts just coming together as one. It is pain. It's as far as you're going to get an I love you from Geyser. The most direct way was she says, can I give you a hug? That's I love you in Geyser. Yeah. And Sierra says, of course. Hugging people is something Geyser's actually familiar with because of Jilly. So she knows that that is for comfort and Geyser needed comfort and wanted to comfort Sierra as well. And now as Geyser's leaving, you're probably going to see her slightly more on edge not necessarily to cause issues for people, but maybe a little bit snippy because her grief is probably going to turn into anger over time. Yeah. On from death to the little death. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I like that one. <laughs> Siri knows that we're about to leave. Siri knows that in Powder's view, it's been 60 days. So she's like, that's a long time to be alone for people, from what I gather. So I need to talk to you. I need to make sure you're okay. And I need to apologize for that. Because even though that was like outside of my control, still feel bad. And I missed you. And I just wanted to have a moment with you. They go back and forth. I missed you a lot. Powder was upset that they didn't have a chance to say goodbye. And a series is like, well, I tried to send you a message, but apparently it didn't go through. I'm sorry. A series very stressed because she's worried about the mermaid situation. She's worried about the world core transfer situation. She's worried about the government. So there's like a thousand spinning plates. Powder just like grabs her by the face and is like, it'll be okay. That's one of the most important things that she needs. You must relax. You gotta calm the fuck down. And there's like nobody better to say that than Powder out of anybody we've met. I think a good trait in a partner is just like stopping you when you've done too much. Just like, you have time, take it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
People are like, oh, you shouldn't, like, RP with your partner. That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, like, you just need to have that conversation through these characters. And, like, I felt like in a moment, Dan and I were, like, having an actual conversation about my fucked up mental state. (laughs) (laughs) Which was sweet. Yeah, sometimes you work out real world shit through the characters. Yeah. I've been stressed. (laughs) Considering everything going on right now. (sighs) (laughs) I think we all are. That's real. (laughs) Once Powder injects that note of levity, Sarah's like, well, since we're alone, I wanted to ask you something personal. For context, because this is like a very weird question. A series species are bi-directional hermaphrodites, meaning they can change their gender depending on whatever social situation is going on with their reproductive needs. So Asir's just like, do you want to be the male or should I be the male? Like, you don't have to be. I don't have to be. That's not how this works. I just want your opinion on this matter. And Powder's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I love confusion in, like, intraspecies, like, sentient relationship things. It's like, I can't do that, Asiri. <laughs> Like, what? (laughs) Really? Do you want to be male? (laughs) That is. Well, I could, but it would take a long time. I mean, yeah, it takes time, but. That's an insane question. (laughs) (laughs) This is like literally a thing that comes up in their culture. It's how people address their parents. Like, Asiri refers to her mother as mother, and her mother does take on the female gender and name ending so does her father and her father was only male long enough to mate and get the deed done and that they changed back so even though their father is ostensibly a girl she still refers to them as her father because that's just how it works in their culture there's like no mind fuckery going on here it's just like oh yeah this is my father this is my mom and they're both chicks with that mind track we fade to black because (laughs) powder is as she says good for anything and uh, it was leading up to something in the hotel room that did not happen. Yeah. <laughs> because fucking cops, so Pony's right. Fucking cops. <laughs> you better not be. The cops that come to you when you're trying to fuck. <laughs> Apparently. I would be real pissed off if that happened again. It would be hilarious if <laughs> somebody walk in. That'd be fucking hilarious. The number's like, oh, uh, Siri, do you want some armor too? <laughs> it's funny you say that because I have an idea for that, but I don't have- <laughs> I don't think it involves Umbra, and now is not the time for that. (laughs) I recently read an article about how indie game designers are talking about sex and intimacy in games, and how there's a widespread, you put nice tokens and you get fuck coins out, right? Yep. And how, like, certain people are trying to move away from that because... If you engage with it thoughtfully, sex can be used to communicate all manner of things. And while we didn't have a scene yeah. there, I think just that moment of do you want to be male said so much about Assyri and Powder, you know? So <laughs> it made me think of the article I read. Can you send me that article? I would like to see it. I will. To put that in a little more context, because there aren't a ton of games that talk about sex or do this specific thing. Um, but if you like those type of games, it comes up a lot. If there's a romance element in a game, often you will have choices and you will have to choose the appropriate choices to make the character like you. So basically you're creating the system where you just have to choose the right thing for the character and they will like you enough to eventually have a sex scene with your character. And that's what D is speaking to. Like that's not how sex really works all of the time and there should be a more varied depiction of it within games yeah 
this is the first time I've had a romantic relationship in a tabletop game. Like, this is completely foreign territory for me. As my friends know, this is not where my mind is at all, like, ever on, like, day-to-day life <laughs> system. It's very refreshing and freeing to explore sexuality in this context of the series. She thinks about things that I don't. The raw chemistry between a Syrian powder is just like the like wildest shit I've ever engaged in in my life. <laughs> I've never like had this back and forth situation with any like personal conversation, even like past intimate relationships. It's bonkers. Hmm. I'm just thinking like Smog is the character who I've had to like least romantic actual play with. We've joked a lot about it, Tao, but that hasn't explicitly happened. Oh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I don't particularly care. Like. <laughs> I did create Smog thinking, like, I don't care about what happens in this character's romantic life. Like, if something happens, yeah. it does, but he's a Moogle. He's just a little guy, yeah. It's it's, it's funny to think about having a relationship with somebody who's not also, like, at least small. So I don't know if it'll happen. I'm kind of ambivalent about it as compared to my other characters where I think a lot about what their preferences are and how they act in relationships. It's not something mm-hmm. I've considered as heavily with Smog. Yeah, whereas I'm like, I'm not a sexual person, I'm not a romantic person at all, but it's just like, whatever like these two have going on, it's gonna like rotate in my mind for all eternity. Like, <laughs> like I made these two in The Sims, and all they do is roll wants to woohoo each other, it's hilarious. <laughs> I have never thought about romance, like, with any of my characters. It could be interesting to explore, but not with Geyser, she has too much shit going on. I want to know what Geyser's dating scene is like. Let's go. <laughs> no, I. it would be a disaster. Right now, especially, Geyser's too in her own head to even, like, oh, someone's attracted to me. What does that mean? Like, no, that's it's not a thought that would actualize in Geyser's head. But part of me, just, like, for shits and giggles, is just like, oh, I can have a queer platonic friendship with Toroid's polycule. <laughs> Oh my god, I was just thinking, like, yeah, guys, I get involved in the fucking secret starter polycule that we've constructed entirely off of screen based on the fact that Smog said that Toroid had children and that he might have a co-parent, or I guess now multiple co-parents. Literally a side comment that has nothing to do with the actual plot, and I like how it's it's canon now. Yeah, we've decided the owner of Clams Karaoke and Jet co-parent and our partners with Toroid. <laughs> The Eastern Seattle Polycule. (laughs) Oh, man. I just think it would be so funny just to, like, make Toroid and Geyser interact. Very enemies to lovers type shit. But But I don't think I have the bandwidth to manage that part of anything this campaign. (laughs) From there, we're at the World Travel Lab, all back together again. And Aura is making sure that everybody is set to go and everything is set correctly this time. They are beating themselves up about that, even though there was literally nothing they could have done about it. <laughs> Asiri does ask Aura to help Alrun with a project. Asiri's like, you need to help because you are smarter than me. So help, old man, help Alrun. And then also Sammy is like, yes, have them interact more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not that they weren't already interacting like off screen, but like more. <laughs> Uh, this is why everyone set up Alexander Smog to hang out with Sierra, I see. Yeah. <laughs> we also talk about that briefly, because Geyser's like, 
make sure he's not alone or else I will do bad things. <laughs> yeah. Smog promises to stay with Sierra. So we step through the last portal, y'all. We're entering the final world, man. That's terrifying. We are not greeted with the most pleasant of sensations. We get the smell of ozone, acid, metal. There's artificial light flooding the room. It's like a weird metallic building with a weird equipment, and there's a couple vats of green fluids floating around. As we get into the voice in our head that tells us we're in the world of assembly, we see governance soldiers, unconscious and or dead on the ground, but they've been horribly mutated. One has a tentacle growing out of their back, their limbs are all fucked up. It's rough. <laughs> Kaiser takes a second to look closer and sees that they have come in contact with some sort of vats here. Geyser takes that moment to warn everyone. This has been my first, like, actual taking the lead on finding out information. And it's been real nice having not a negative, <laughs> not a negative mastery and heart stat. The dice bot still hates me, so I had to reroll a couple times, but it worked out. This is where I took the opportunity to introduce the new Smog, who looks like Cat Seed's Moogle mech in Final Fantasy VII, just a little more sort of plasteel Final Fantasy XIII-esque like rig. Has a chipper voice coming out of a singular speaker. What the fuck is wrong with this Smog's personality? <laughs> I wanted to have a robotic voice for this mech smog, but I also didn't want to step on Zach's toes with Tau because Tau is flat but can change a little bit, whereas this smog always has to have a chipper voice and deliver anything that he's angry or sad or wistful about or anything like that in a happy, upbeat tone. Very follow New Vegas yes man. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit of conversation with Tao. <laughs> and Tao's like, nice to meet you again, because the smug doesn't know Tao. Mm -hmm. Smug's like, are you some kind of fucking adventurer? And Geyser's like, yes. <laughs> and Smug's like, my body's not here. And tosses the governance person that's still alive through the portal that we came from. That's so Geyser coded. <laughs> I like that. I'm a fan of this smug. <laughs> Like a series is like, hey, maybe let's not throw a mutated body through a portal. I'm going to go back and make sure if they can be healed and receive medical care. At least somebody knows what the hell's going on and not just, oh, shit, there's a weird governance fucked up mutant over here. <laughs> yeah, Swag wasn't too worried because he knew that we could either go back to portals right there or phone in. So it's like, yeah, you can take care of that. Yeah, Siri so pops right back. So that only takes a minute. We start talking about what the fuck's going on here. There's a robo voice over the loudspeaker that's threatening to turn us into spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, come along, talk about what the hell spaghetti is, because the Siri doesn't know. And if that would even work on characters who probably don't have DNA. And eventually talk down this mysterious voice who Smog knows as Blobby Flob. Why did Dan do this to me? <laughs> if this is targeted specifically to me and maybe Michael Silva. I fucking hate Bobby Flay. Like, <laughs> this is a known fact about me. He's a fucking asshole. And yeah. if I could meet him anywhere, I would beat him to, like, an inch of his life. I will beat Bobby <laughs> Flay to an inch of his life. I should probably edit this out of the... <laughs> Let me email it to him. But... <laughs> you feel as strongly about Bobby Flay as I feel about Larry Hogan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this man. 
So the fact that Dan had the audacity to sit here and be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a fucked up mutant slime goo man that's also Bobby fucking Flay, who's an entertainer chef celebrity in this world that's full of toxic sludge that your fucking mermaid cannot live in, is like a direct insult to my personality and life choices. (laughs) Yeah, Smog says over and over again, like, this place is hell. And I, as a player, didn't know anything about this world, but I trusted what Dan gave us so far, and I trusted enough for, like, Dan to play off of me in whatever small area of the world we're already in to play that up for me. Asuri doesn't know what hell is. That's not a, a, <laughs> that's not a concept that she's familiar with, but she is familiar with bad things, and this shit sucks, so I feel like the word- that was a quick vocab word for her to learn. <laughs> Learn some interesting facts about Blobby, who I do not like. <laughs> Bobby's like, I'm an entertainer. Bacteria grows in me. It's seriously like, same. <laughs> True of most multicellular organisms. <laughs> and then Blobby's like, you are not killing anyone. You're going to help me clean up. And Geyser's like, but I am going to kill someone. <laughs> but she says, why should we help you? And Blobby is like, that's just for Smog, because apparently Smog is working for Blobby. I would assume because he knows the portal is right here and wants to be around it when everybody comes in. Yeah, makes sense. I've also basically stated that Smog has been killing governance who have been coming around. I'm just glad we were able to talk Blobby down from attacking us, because that would have <laughs> Blobby asks us why we're here, and guys is like, I'm here to destroy the governance. A little bit of that rage coming to the surface. Tao explains to Blobby what the governance is. Smog chides him because Smog has been talking about the governance this whole fucking time and doesn't believe him. (laughs) And then we have a conversation about sludge. (laughs) (laughs) Because slime and goo is a series' favorite topic. She gives Blobby a sample who fucking eats it. Which is perfect. Asiri would not be bothered by that at all. So many things re-eat their mucus when they're done with it in the ocean. And Fluffy's just like, hmm, flavor profile's alright, the consistency's good, I wonder if it has any effects. And Asiri's like, well, I haven't done anything with it yet, so no. <laughs> what an unhinged character. Geyser is a fan of Smog, but not a fan of Blobby at all. The next line here, where Blobby says, well, anyway, I'm gonna power down Smog. I completely misinterpreted. I did not put that comma in between down and smog. I thought he was going to turn off smog because smog was getting too etched. <laughs> See, I thought too. <laughs> looking back at it, I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> you know what? Turn off the weird robot. He keeps trying to kill everything. We do our basic new world reconnaissance. We ask where we are. Apparently, we're in the sludge works. This place is so fucking polluted that regular water that Siri has just doesn't exist. Yep. This place is hell. (laughs) (laughs) Blobby asks us about our purpose here and Tao asks about the heart of the world and Blobby mentions something called the engine and that it's producing a lot of good pollution which makes Siri mad. (laughs) Yeah. For many reasons. Swag has to talk her down for fucking leaving. It sucks here but you're an important part of the team. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like, I can't even like bite anything here. I'll get fucking sick. I wonder if we can like magic a pollution cleaner, summon a horde of clams for the water. I wish I could do that in real life. <laughs> summon a horde of clams. <laughs> More so the anti-pollution spell, but yeah. The people that are also seem to be surviving 
off of the crap they're putting out? Are we also killing off what's already left by not letting them make more of their gross sludge? I yeah. assume that's going to be part of the question here. Yeah, this is their gross world. It's going to be their gross problem. Then we step into a putrid city that's very colorful and smells like pepperoni. Disgusting. <laughs> Awful. I fucking hate the smell of pepperoni. Same. Dan emotionally tortured us and is now torturing our sensibilities. It's just torture. What would you have done differently if you could? I don't think I did anything that I regret or missed something that I could have done. I was in the scenes that I was in and I played them perfectly. Not to like big up my ego, but like (laughs) I'm very satisfied with the session. It was a good time. I'm pretty happy to. I made sure to be present in earlier scenes, but not take the same amount of time as everyone else because it didn't make sense narratively. And that let me eat up a little more time in the end game when we have to deal with a new smog. I'm okay with the session. I don't have any like in character complaints, but I feel like out of character, my brain was just like not firing on all cylinders. So it oh. took a lot more time to get to what I wanted to say, which is frustrating for me. But other than that, I think everything that happened in character was good. Let's get into the resolution phase, the segment of the show where we each get to say something about the game with no responses. What is your final say on this session, D? It hurts. You can find me on Twitter slash X. At Backslider D. I'm on Instagram as I had a cow lol. That's also my PSN name. We can exchange friend codes to play games on Switch. I'm also on Twitch as Backslider D2. I stream fairly frequently. I'm currently going through Spider Man 2 with a whole heap of exaggerated swag. <laughs> Jiraiya has a new music video. Eat your friends. If you are a early 90s baby like me, you'll know that our coming of age time was very pop punk, very emo scene, all all of that. We were all having the bangs. Jiraiya gives me a lot of those nostalgic feelings, but it's also very fresh, very exciting. It doesn't feel like I've been put into 2008, but it reminds me of 2008. I love him, and you should listen to his music. <laughs> and for you, Alex? We didn't get to touch on how Smog is here yet, and I'm excited to get into that at some point in the world of Assembly. You can find me on Blue Sky at Shining Crowbat. This week, I recommend Two Bye Guys. It is a podcast that was originally two bi men as hosts, talking about topics related to being bi men mostly. And as it went along, one host took over more as the other host had some work. And it's been interviews with experts in different fields and people who are publishing books. And for the next couple of weeks, I think it's very interesting. It's going to be interviews with subjects from the now solo hosts book from by men who are married to women. Interested to see how that series is going to be coming up. And I've been listening to the show for years. And for myself, I think this world's going to be a real rough time for a Siri, and she's probably going to get real feisty about it. Since we're talking about it, you can find me out back in the Waffle House parking lot, beating Bobby Flay to an inch of his life. I'm not backing down, man. That's where I'm going to be. You can find me there. Any Waffle House, I'll be there. I don't care. I'll beat your ass. Bring a tire iron. Let's go. (laughs) No!
like, I love you, my fans. <laughs> Listen, the Waffle House is a PvP-enabled zone. <laughs> what do you think the chances are that Bobby Flay listen to every episode of this show? <laughs> like, I'd lose my fucking mind. <laughs> and then I would beat his ass. Oh, God. See, I would just go on his show, and because he hates, he can't make desserts, so I would make one of my bomb-ass desserts, and then I would kick his ass out back. Help, 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 help. This has been Resolve, an after-play show. You can find us online at most social media sites at ResolveAP. Except Instagram, which is at ResolveAfterPlay. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. You can buy the game we're playing, Interstitial, Our Hearts Intertwined, from its creator, Riley Hopkins, at linksmithgames.com. All links will be included in the episode description. Thank you again for listening. We end our turn here, so now it's your turn. Tell us what's happening in your game. <laughs>